acknowledge God in some ways, in their culture, in some ways, but they acknowledge all these false gods as well. And God warned them for many years, several hundred years. He said, you, if you don't turn back, if you don't repent, your sins are going to, they're going to, to, to uh, you know, pay, you're going to pay a price because your sins are going to come to fruition. And so that's what happened. And they went from a theocracy to a compromise to captivity. Now they're in captivity in Babylon. And the Bible tells us this in Daniel, and it was, it was 587 B.C. when this happened. And um, it says, In the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So Nebuchadnezzar is the emperor not the, just the king, he's the emperor of Babylon because Babylon became the, uh, expanded and, and it was capturing nations. And one of the ways in which he, uh, the Babylonian captivity worked is some nations go in, they just destroy people. Some nations go in, like Rome, would go in, take control, and then would allow them to, you know, to, to live in their own culture and religious views, but just they paid. As long as they paid back, they could do that. But Babylon took them, and what he did is he would capture them and bring them back to, his, to, to Babylon and turn them into Babylonians. That was the goal. So they would change their, their language. They would learn how to, uh, to speak the language. They would change their name. They would wipe out the worship of, of, of their gods, whatever they were. And this is actually what's happening in, uh, in, in the story of Daniel. And, and the scripture says that there was uh, the king, he had uh, what was called the master of the eunuchs. The eunuchs were the servants who served in the, in, in the, in the uh, court of the king, of the emperor. And the king, um, the master was, uh, Ashpenaz was, was his name, and he was, um, the, he was over all of these. And he was instructed by the king to go back, when they went into Babylon and they took the captives, to go and find the, the, the young men, and these were teenagers, who were from noble families. In other words, from those who were in le- kings and leaders and so forth, and then pick out the ones who had no blemish. I mean, they had to be good looking. Everything was about, you know, appearance and smarts. They had to be smart. They had to be, they had to all that. And then bring them into the court, and then it was a teaching and indoctrination process that they would go through. And there, the, the story of Daniel really is about four of these Hebrew ch- uh, teenagers and the main one, of course, is Daniel. And a couple of things happened when they, when they took them. The first thing was they changed their names. And so Daniel, whose name meant God is my judge, then was, um, was changed to, uh, to Bel is my protector. In other words, his name represented the false god 
a bell. And the other, his friends as well, the same thing happened, changed their names to represent the false gods of Babylon. So, and then the second thing is, they, um, they, became, they were made eunuchs. Now, there's argument about whether they were physically made eunuchs or if they were made eunuchs by not being able to, to marry and have to live a celibate life. I'm, there's argument on that. In any case, the result was you know, that they could not have any kind of sexual or healthy relationship as a result of that. And then the third thing was that they were to, and this one was considered a good thing by most. They would eat of the food and be taken care of from the king, the emperor's um, castle. So he would, they would be in the, in the castle eating what the emperor ate. Now, most people didn't get that kind of food. You know, most people, you know, barely survived but you're in the king's castle, you're getting the best stuff. Well, this kind of reflect, this, this really is an analogy for us, because Babylon wants to change your identity. Babylon wants to change your identity. And if you identify, see, your identity is, a, is as a child of God. If you're, you, you, you serve and, and worship the Lord, your identity is a child of God. Your identity is you are highly favored of God. Your identity is that you, um, that you are the object of God's love and God's care. And, and, and a loving God cares for you and loves you so much so that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to make sure that your salvation was secured and you would be with him forever. That, that, that's your identity. It's, it's in Christ. You're a child of God. But the world is always trying to push against that. And everything, you know, you know there, there's so much to tear down who you are. And Babylon does that. And whether it's intentional with, you know, with minds that have been, you know, working hard to get, it, to have a goal, like, like Nebuchadnezzar did, his goal, he had a purpose. Or whether it's in, unintentional, but because it's not God-centered, it still happens it's happening in people's lives every day. And, and Babylon also wants to corrupt your sexuality and your relational health. As, in, as they did with these Hebrew teenagers, they, the world does that as well. And unfortunately, so much has happened in our culture that, have you noticed I mean, have you noticed? I mean, really, can you not notice that there is a change going on in our culture in this arena at such a rapid pace? We haven't seen the end of all this. We have not seen the, the full consequences of the way in which our world is pushing for this transformation, this kind of non-gender identity, this kind of sexual fluidness that is being promoted. We're not, we're, not even see, we're not even getting close to seeing the end of what that, the consequences of that are. And, and some, of it, some of it has to do with um, just so much pain and, and hurt within family units, within relationships, um, with the unhealth that takes place. 
um, the, the dissatisfaction of intimacy is a result of that in so many lives and so forth, especially when teenagers are being corrupted at, in it very early and then try to, to live kind of normal lives, but they've already crossed the line that causes so much damage. God is able to heal, by the way, if that's you. God is a healer, but he's the only one that can do that, the only one. And, uh, but we're seeing it in, in, in fact, just recently, the, um, there's, uh, the girls have been being kidnapped in just, just in placentia, right, there at supermarkets. And uh, it's for, you know, for trafficking. And it's just, it's a horrible, it's a horrible corruption that is happening. But this is the way of the world. This is the way of Babylon that's happening in our culture. And, and here's the thing also. Babylon wants to compromise your faith. And that's what's going on here. Because, here, because listen to this, and I want you to get this. Either you will change Babylon or Babylon will change you. Either you, you're going to make, you're going to be a, an instrument of change for Babylon, or you're going to be an instrument of, of change by Babylon. It, it will one of the, the other, and you can't be in the middle. In that, there's no middle ground. There's not, you know, I'm not picking a side. It doesn't work that way. And so the story is picked up in. In verse 8 of Daniel 1, and if you have your Bible, you can open it to that, and, uh, or your Bible app. If you have neither, you can look on the screen and get it. We'll have it on there. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He perp- I love the way the New King James puts it, and others put it in different ways. But he purposed in his heart. He made a determination in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the musicians. And the chief of the musicians said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces look worse than the young men who are your age, and then you would endanger my head before the king? Now, there's a couple of things going on with the food issue. You think, well, what's the big deal? And by the way, there were a lot of people who didn't think that was a big deal. There were, there were a lot of Jews, there were a lot of Hebrews who had the same um, training and teaching that Daniel did, and they didn't seem to be bothered by it, but Daniel was bothered by it. And, and the problem was twofold. One was there were certain foods that God had said you cannot eat. You, you can eat these foods, but these foods you can't. It was, it was, uh, it was uh, the, in the Levitical law that Daniel grew up under. And and it's, what's interesting about that, if you ever do a study on, there's been some great studies on this, um, the food, in fact, the food, you go, well, what food is that? Well, it's called kosher. You've heard that. 
Kosher food is food prepared in a way and the kinds of food that is biblically says this is the way it's to be done. God had some, some fairly strict ways in which it was done. It was prepared and the kinds of food. And studies have been done about that. And there are foods that are called unclean. And unclean foods, especially in the way it was prepared in those days, the way that they would cook food or not cook it, and so forth, that that, that food was very unhealthy. In fact, most of the food that was called unclean was food that was uh, from animals that were bottom feeders and scavengers. And if you, you, you see that, or foods that the animals didn't have a good digestive system, so whatever they ate, you ate. And you don't think of it that way, but that's the way it, it works. That's why I like cow. <laughs> four, they have four stomachs, man, that thing's filtered good. <laughs> good steak, you know. But, but he, he, didn't want any, he didn't want to eat that, but there was another aspect to it, too, that bothered him. And that was that the food, before it was brought to, to them and they would eat it, it was first brought before the false gods placed on the altar and they worshipped with the, this food. And then it was taken and then they would eat the food. And Daniel knew that, that this was offered up to idols, this meat. And so he didn't want to eat that and he didn't want to drink the drink that was also offered up to idols. And so he, he's, he, think about the dilemma he has going on here. Think about what he's going through. This is a, a teenager who had great dreams. He was from a good family. Say, how do you know that? Because he was from the noble family. At least he was from a family that was wealthy. He was from a family that had much privilege. He was well-educated. He was, he was trained. I mean, his future looked good until King Nebuchadnezzar showed up. And in a very short period of time, it all comes shattering down. And Daniel has a conviction. But it's not a, listen, it's not Daniel against Babylon. It's Daniel for the Lord. His thing isn't that he's railing against Babylon, it's not the world, you know, sometimes we get so frustrated with the world's um, being the world that we're mad at the world being the world. And, and sometimes we take it out on the world for being the world. Say, does that really happen? Just take a look at social media for a very short period of time. We just can't understand why the world is the world. And the world can't help but be the world. The only reason that if we're not the world is because God has done something in transforming us and changing us. Say, not everything, of course. I mean, there are values that people have that aren't believers and so forth. Most of the values that are, you know, the, the biblical values actually come from God, even though there are people who pick those up maybe through you know, their parental training or what have you. But simply the point is that Daniel now 
he's got he's he's going through some things in his life and his name has been changed he's his future the the hope of having a family someday is gone and he doesn't even seem to complain about those things at all but when it comes to something that attacks his faith or attacks his 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 worship of god at that point he's willing to die He'll die for that one. That's the mountain, that's the hill that you die on. And he's made a decision that I'm not going to, see, going to eat that. And so the scripture says in verse 11, so Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over him, Hannah and Mishael and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 day, your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And the, what happens, of course, they, they look better than everybody else because God did something. It wasn't the vegetables. <laughs> Though you should have your vegetables, right? Mom says so. Now, um, there are four things that should make a diff- need, you need, four, four, four things needed to make a difference in Babylon. Because whether you know it or not, you do live in Babylon. By the way, this metaphor or this um, analogy of Babylon is found in the book of Revelation. And it's, and it's this, the Babylon that is found in the book of Revelation uh, is, is a, a a reference to a world system that is anti-God, that has always gone on. So it's not just Babylon in, you know, in what is today modern Iraq, which was there, but it's, it's a cult, it's the, it's, it is the system that is all over the world. So these four things. The first one is this. Resolve ahead of time where you will stand. He purposed in his heart. He resolved ahead of time. He saw this and he said, this is, where, this is it. I'm not going further than this. See, either you're going to change Babylon or Babylon's going to change you. And, and, and at some point, you have to take a stand even when, even if others don't. And here's... Daniel, this teenager, you think this is a this is a mature de- teenager. I mean, his parents did good. He's a, this is a mature teenager that sees that everyone else is going one way, but it's not God's way, and says, "I'm not following the crowd, even though the crowd are are Hebrews." I mean, how how many are challenged? And I speak to teenagers that, that are here today. You might be even in a Christian school and people are claiming to be Christian, but you know in your heart that some of the things that they're operating in and considered to be normal is not godly. It's not God's way. And simply because they say they're Christian and not standing, well, why don't you be a Daniel instead? And you stand up. And you get some resolve. And you make a decision. 
I'm going to ask all of us this question. Do people know that you're a Christian? If you are. If you're a believer here today, and you would say, I'm a Christian, this is who I am, I, I'm a follower of Christ. Do people know that? Do you live a consistent life that even if you didn't tell them, they would probably suspect it? Or do you live the kind of life that people would never suspect it? And if you told them, they would be shocked. It's interesting, the Bible tells us in Matthew 10 what Jesus said about that. He said in verse 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Ooh. Now, that can be a, oh, or that can be, ah. It can be, ooh, because I've been ashamed of the Lord. And I haven't. And opportunities have come my way and I haven't stood up. I've been faced with choices where I've compromised. Or it's, ah. I stand for Jesus. Now, folks, this isn't a religious, legalistic thing we're talking about here. This comes out of an, a relationship, an intimacy with God. What we, what we know about Daniel is Daniel had a flourishing prayer life. We see that later on in the story. He, he, he would get alone with the Lord three times a day. I mean, he, was, he, would, he, he had this relationship that was at the center, at the core of his life. And it was out of that relationship that he had that standing up for God and being willing to even lay down his life for God, he had that strength because of that relationship. He would stand there. And, and, you know, I think everybody understands that one to an extent. You probably have someone in your life, maybe a loved one, a family member, you know, a child or a spouse or, or even a good friend that you would lay your life down for because you have a relationship with them and you love them and you love them enough that you would lay down your life for them. See, Daniel, the, the reason Daniel could do this was not because it was a religious activity that he had to stand up for. It was, it was out of a relationship with the living God whom he loved and did not want to defile himself so that it affected his relationship with God. So he resolves in his heart that he's not going to do that. See, at some point, if you don't stand up for God, it's probably... It's probably because you're kneeling to something else. Something else has taken God's place in your life. If you're not standing up for God, it's because you have other things that are more important than standing up for God for you. And, and this is where the dilemma happens, right? This is where the risk factor is. At least for Daniel, this is risky. 
because the king has ordered them to eat. Not only is it risky for Daniel, it's actually risky for his, you know, for, for the, the master servant who's directing this. Because he's been directed to make sure all these people eat what the, what the king has given. The king finds out that it, they were not given what they were supposed to and they're not doing well, then they all die. You know? Daniel, his friends, and, and, the, and the servant. And so there's a risk factor here. And so Daniel, though, he resolves in his heart. The second thing is, be gracious to others. In Babylon, God wants us to be gracious to others. And, and Daniel doesn't go, well, too bad, I'm not eating any of the food you give me. I'm only going to eat, you know, and if that happens, it just happens. No, he understands the dilemma that the mass, you know, that, that, that his leader is under. So graciously, he responds. And he says, well, let's try it out. Would you give it, could we just try it out for 10 days, see how it works? Because he trusts God, God will do good. And he lived in such a way that he had favor with the, the master, the, his master there, and he had favor with others. He had favor with the people because he was gracious. I think sometimes as Christians, we think, well, we've got to fight Babylon so hard that we fail to be gracious. And I have on a, on a couple occasions gone to, gone to my social media when I was irritated at something and said something that was not gracious. Anybody else ever done that? You know what you do when you do that? When you realize it? You apologize. Says, I should not have said it that way. I am sorry. I was not being gracious. I was not being loving. Because as a Christian, we're called. What are we to be most identified as? by as Christians. The one thing we're supposed to be most identified by, is it our political stance? Are we supposed to be identified by that? Are we supposed to be identified by, you know, the way we, we you know, talk, the things we even stand for? No, we're supposed to be most identified. The number one thing is love. You'll know that they are my disciples. You'll know that they are Christians. By their love. That's how we're supposed to be identified. That should be the one way in which people say, there's something different about them, they must be a Christian. So, Daniel was gracious. Why? Because Babylonians, Babylonian lives matter to God. That's why. Babylonian lives matter to God. God loves the Babylonians just as much as he loves you. And he places, Daniel's, Daniel's in Babylon for a purpose. God has a purpose of him being there. And it's not for him, it's actually for the Babylonians. And he's going to lead the Babylonians in a place of blessing and prosperity. And, and the king 
the emperor is going to get to know the true and living God because of Daniel. Because that's what matters. And that's what matters to God. And so first of all, it's interesting, there's a scripture in Jeremiah 29, and we won't read it here, but he tells them, Jeremiah is the one who told them that uh, they were going to be captured. It says, you're going to go be captured and taken to a foreign nation, and you're going to be there for 70 years, and then God's going to bring you back. And because they were in rebellion and they were worshiping idols, and by the way, when they came back, they never did go back to worshiping idols. They did other sins, but they never, they never went back to that one. Sometimes when God disciplines you, just as a side note, if you have to be disciplined by God because of, a, you know, you refuse in the area, he'll discipline you enough. I mean, the discipline will be enough that you won't do it again. That's why you don't want to do it in the first place. Seriously. But they, they end up in, in captivity and come back. And, uh, but he tells them this. When you go there, you know, take wives, take, you know, raise children, have kids, have families, live there, pray for the peace of the, you know, of Babylon, pray for them, says, and live there. In other words, don't go there and then isolate yourself and say, I'm, you know, I'm not in Babylon, I'm going to do everything to, to escape, to get out of it. He says, no, live there and change it. Live there until I bring you back. And in kind of in our analogy, it's until I bring revival and change this nation again, you live there, you pray for it, you, you pray in peace, you be a change agent in it. You make a difference. Because Babylonian lives matter to God. Number three, live courageously. And I want you to say this, and the Bible says this, if there is no conflict between your faith and Babylon, you're not living with Christian resolve. You're compromising. There's always going to be, at some point, there's going to be conflict. It just happens. Things happen in a culture that is anti God and anti and doesn't value the things of God, there's going to be conflict. And so you're gonna, you know, you're you're gonna be at work and and someone's going to, you know, going to ask you maybe to do something that is contrary to your values and what God wants, and you're gonna have to say no. And they're gonna maybe accuse you of being prudish or you know, too religious or whatever it might be. It's just gonna happen. We just kind of settled that that probably is going to happen in your life. If you're open about your faith and you're real, that there's going to be things that happen. I remember this story. I heard of this, this young, young man who was, uh, he was working actually at a, a, um, a store. And the owner of the store was a single store, had asked him to, to change the weights and make it so that they could cheat, they were going to cheat the customers. And, um, and this, this man was really bothered by it, and uh, he figured he's going to have to quit but he, or get fired, but he's going to talk to the owner. And he went up to the owner and he says, I have to tell you something. He said, the other day, I broke one of the shoelaces on my shoe. 
I said, so I went to, you know, the, the, the shelf there, and I got me a new set of shoelaces from your store, and I put them on. Then I went over to the counter, and I took out my wallet, and I put the money in the register. I could have gone without doing that, but I would never cheat you. And he says, and I cannot cheat our customers. And he says, if you want to let me go, uh, you know, I'll understand and I'll do whatever I have to. And of course, the owner went, stopped, and he said, this guy's, this guy's a good employee. And in fact, he decided not just to not let him go, but told him, listen, we're not going to cheat any of our customers. And he gave him, he, he promoted him. He ended up getting promoted and promoted, and, and because of his frugalness with his resources, he was able to turn around and buy the, the, the store and then turn that store into several stores and become a pretty wealthy man as a result. He made the decision, he had a resolve as a Christian. He had a resolve. When it was something small like shoelaces, a few cents, that I would not defile myself before my God. Because when you don't defile and you have courage and you stand up, God will bless you. And God will give you strength wherever you need it. Because see, Daniel needed the strength at this point and God gave him strength and he stood with the courage that he had. But that, that someday he was going to have to face lions face to face. And what do you do then? Well, if you haven't faced the small things, you aren't going to face the big things very boldly. But he was able to because he was faithful and in, in, in courageous in the smaller things. So when he stood before the lions, the lions cowered. And that's where it starts. It starts with the resolve that I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to stand whatever the costs are because I serve God. And it takes courage. Courageous things like courageous parenting that we've talked about. I was talking to a, a, a young mom who had made a decision. Um, she was a single mom made the decision she wanted to protect her kids. She knew what was going on in the, you know, in the public school system, and she saw that with so much um, pressure, pressure, and she had a way in which she could actually get her kids out of that pressure for at least a portion of time, a season in their life, until they grew maybe old enough and mature enough to, you know, to be able to stand on their own feet in that regard, and it was to get them out of the public school and get them into private school. But she's a single mom and doesn't have much money. And what do you do when you can't really kind of afford something like that? And I, I know because of our school, our school, and I think there's others too, but ours is really good at, like, assessing the financial, we actually have a way, a, a company that helps us do that, assessing the financial situation of a person that wants their kids to come in. And then we, we have a, a, you know, 
a grading on how much they can afford, and we work with them on that. But for her, it was a huge, a huge sacrifice. She didn't have the money to do that. She had to step out in faith. She had to give up some, some things, some things that she valued and important to her, but she had to give those up for what was more important. And she made a courageous decision for her children. You face courageous things. You face times where you have to be courageous. You, you face challenging things in your life. And at those times, are you willing to make this? The, Daniel's going, hey, if he kills me, he kills me, but I'm going to stand for God. You know, I'm not standing against Babylon. I'm standing for God. I'm not against them. I'm for God. And I, I say that in this story in the context of the fact that I know that there are some wonderful public school teachers in our church. People who love God. But I know the challenges that they have and they need to be prayed for because they are in fact in situations where there's a lot of pressure on them. You know? They can't, can't share their faith. You know, they find ways, good ones find ways around that to an extent. But they're, they're in an environment that is very hostile to their faith as they're communicating and as they're teaching. And, and uh, so we need to pray for them. But, but sometimes, you know, we're, but there are those who would say, ah, listen, everybody's eating the food. You know? I'll, I know all kinds of Christians that are still eating the delicacies from the king's table. What's the big deal? Well, maybe it isn't. But I want to say to you, if your heart's checked, don't ignore it. That's the Holy Spirit wanting you to take a stand, wanting you to be careful, wanting to make sure that you're not compromising in a way that the world has its influence, that you don't become more like Babylon, but Babylon becomes more like God, like Christ, because of you. And folks, wherever you are, whatever challenges, I want you to hear this. We are never without hope because God is never without a plan. We're never without a hope because God is never without a plan. Daniel could have felt hopeless, but he had a hope in God, and God had an amazing plan. He couldn't have known that. If, if, if this teenager would have compromised, if this teenager would not have stood up, well, what would, where would we be? Even us. We read this book, and this book has revelation and prophecy that we're still seeing unfold before us. Because he stood up and he was that man that God could use and God could, could speak through. Today, we're reading prophecy that is unfolding before us that comes from Daniel. It was Daniel that helped be instrumental in changing two of the emperors that would follow. And then even a third would be touched by him. He, he outlived you know, he, he, he lived through those 70 years and he made a difference in his world. People would bow down to Daniel. 
when he walked in the room. Not at first. Not when he took courage and he stood up for God, but God had a plan. And when you stand up for God, you make way for the plan that God has for you in your life. I was thinking of Samuel Cathy. Samuel Cathy started a restaurant in 1946. And that restaurant slowly began to grow and become several restaurants. And he had decided, he had purpose in his heart because of his own conviction, that he was not going to, um, he was not going to open his restaurant on Sunday, thinking his employees could then go to church whenever they wanted, needed to, and when they wanted to, and he himself would not work on Sunday, even though the restaurant business could flourish on Sunday. And as it grew, there was more, um, there was more criticism of him not open. There's pressure for him to open his business on Sunday. I mean, after all, that's one of the best ways, right? Especially if you have a fast food business. Sundays are a great day to make money. And he had decided not to. Today, his company, which is now owned by, you know, run by his, his son and his, his, his family, is the third largest fast food company in the country or the world. And Chick-fil-A still doesn't open on Sunday. And there's all kinds of criticism. They have, been, they, have been not, they have been stopped from going on university campuses. They have been stopped now recently uh, being put in some airports because of their stand as a Christ, Christian company, even though they don't do, are not prejudiced. They don't do anything along those lines as you know, the way they run their company, but simply because of their views, which is very interesting because it doesn't seem like they go to every fast food or every restaurant that goes into a, an airport and go, okay, give me the, here's the list of values, sign up on them. They don't do that to anybody else, but only because they know that the owners are Christian. But, but they've not compromised. And now they're the third largest in the country. Because why? Because God honors. Because they made a, a, he had a resolve early on. And God has, listen, God, God never is without a plan. And lastly, expect God to honor your efforts. Honor God and he will honor you. God honored Daniel because he honored God. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.30, we'll close with this, second half of the verse, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me, I will disdain. If you honor God, God will honor you. And if you'll, you cannot, listen, you cannot change Babylon if you're afraid of Babylon. You've got to have courage. You have to have courage. You have to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not against Babylon. Get that out. I'm not against the world. I'm for the people in the world. I, I'm, not, I'm not just going to choose fights because I don't like what they're doing. But I'm not going to let 
anything change what God wants to do through me and in me. And I will serve him no matter what. Whatever it takes, I'll serve him. Shall we pray? Well, Father, thank you. Your grace is amazing. We love you. And Lord, we want to be, Lord, we want to be the kind of people, Lord, who make a difference in our Babylon, our community, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in, in our schools. Lord, help us to be more like Daniel, Lord, the, 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 the young man who was willing to stand and draw a line and say, this is as far as it goes, and no matter what it costs, I'm going to serve God. Lord, help us to be more like that, to be difference makers, Lord, I pray. And I just want to pray, if those of you who are here and say, you know, I'm, I'm far from God and I need the Lord in my life, maybe, maybe you used to be one who, who named the name of Jesus, but you've, you've gotten far from God. Some of you ha- would like to, but you're afraid Maybe you're concerned about what people would think of you in a negative way, maybe family or what have you. I, I sense that there's somebody in that category here this afternoon. I, I'm, I also sense that, that there's, there's someone here that you really didn't intend to come and somehow somebody invited you, somehow you got here. And, uh, and you know what? You've always felt like you, you didn't fit. You always have felt that it, it, you just didn't fit. That something is like not right in this world and you don't fit in this world. And maybe that's because the God of heaven has been calling you. Have you considered that? That you're supposed to be part of his kingdom. And this is time and a place for you to do that. And if you want to, you can just pray a simple prayer to God and say, God, forgive me for my sin. I ask you to cleanse my soul. Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior. I believe you died for my sins and you were buried and you conquered death. And Jesus, I ask you to help me to follow you. You put your faith in what Jesus has done and you trust him now. The Bible says he will come into your heart and he will revive your spirit, make you alive in him. God wants to do that in your life right now. You can close your prayer and say, in Jesus' name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ah. I want, this is what we're going to do. We're going to close like this. It's going to be a good ending, all right? We're going, we're, while we're worshiping, we're going to be worshiping God. We're going to go into worship just for a couple minutes. And the ushers are going to be handing out the, uh, the buckets so that we can worship God with our gifts, those of you who like to do it that way or online or however you do it. Um, and then when they're done, they're going to pick up the buckets. They're going to run over to the communion table because they got two jobs to do. And then they're going to start handing out communion. 
And those of you who want to have communion with us, just take the elements. It's the bread and the, the cup. And then we'll just hold them and we'll take them together. I'll explain it. Okay? That's what we're going to do. And while they're doing all of that, we're going to worship the Lord. And the worship team's going to lead us. Let's close this way, lifting our hearts and our voices to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All right?